In this series that we're in on your home, your castle, everybody wants their life to be blessed, their family to be blessed. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. How many of you have ever felt like everything was against you? Can I see your hand? Be honest. Everything. You, you thought it was as bad as it could get, then it got worse. There's this guy sitting in a bar staring morosely at his drink. <clears throat> and he's been sitting there staring at this drink for 30 minutes when a big, burly, rough-looking biker walks over, grabs the guy's drink, swallows it down in one gulp, and the poor guy just breaks into tears and goes to sobbing. And the big biker is heart-stricken. And he said, come on, man. I was just giving you a hard time. I can't stand to see a grown man cry. And the guy at the bar that had been staring at his drink said, this is the worst day of my life. In between sobs, he said, I can't do anything right. Today I overslept and was late for an important meeting, so my boss fired me. Went out to the parking lot to get in my car to go home, and somebody had stolen my car. And I checked to see if I could get some kind of a rental. My insurance had expired. I got a cab home, paid the taxi driver, and got out of the taxi and left my wallet on the back seat. Walked into the house. My wife was having an affair with a mailman. Walked out of the house. My dog bit me. So I came to this bar to work up the courage to end my life. Then you show up and drink my poison. Sometimes nothing goes right. In the book of Ruth, I read in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, beginning, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Ephraimites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth, not Oprah, as I sometimes have been known to pronounce that, it's Orpha. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Meha, Melon, and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. I want to speak this morning from the subject reversing collateral damage and releasing generational blessings. Father, would you speak to us this morning? Let your presence and your spirit that has already invaded this place cause the word of God to penetrate our hearts and help us understand the amazing concepts and principles contained in your word, and then in turn be moved to make a decision to apply them in our own lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. And if you're our guest or you're online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here and just delighted. If you're a first-time attendee, I trust that you will be a part of what God is doing here again and again and again. We're growing. The church is thriving. I'm so excited. But I said I want to talk about reversing collateral damage and releasing generational blessings. We hear a lot about collateral damage. There could be a war going on. 
and maybe militaries clash and innocent civilians lose their lives, collateral damage. Everyone has heard of the Titanic. You remember Jack and Rose right from the movie at the end, as she was a younger woman at the beginning of the movie and during most of it, but at the end, she's an older lady and she throws that famous necklace into the depths of the ocean. In real life, after the Titanic sank with a huge loss of life, the Seaman's Act was implemented that required all ships to be retrofitted with enough lifeboats to accommodate everyone on board. And one of the ships that was retrofitted with additional lifeboats because it didn't have enough was a ship called the SS Eastland. But on July 24th, 1915, the SS Eastland rolled over and sank with 844 people that lost their lives. That's 14 more than died in the Titanic disaster. And what's more, it sank not in the middle of the ocean, it sank only a few feet from shore. If you Google it, it is right at the dock when it rolled over. What happened was all the passengers rushed over to the dock side, the pier side as, they, as it came alongside the dock, which is what they always do. But the additional weight of the lifeboats caused it to become so top heavy that it rolled over. And all those people died. It was a great idea to add the lifeboats, right? We want to save as many lives as we can. But in this particular case, there were unintended consequences. Another example, some years ago, they found that a certain type of starfish called the crown of thorns starfish was ravaging the reefs in the Pacific and Indian oceans and all throughout Pacific waters. I've seen them many, many times. I used to dive a lot. And traveled the world and had a, kept a suitcase with my, my camera gear and my dive gear in it. And I loved underwater photography. And, and they asked divers to destroy with their diving knife every crown of thorns starfish they came across because there were so many of them. And you see, they were killing the reefs. And, and coral reefs are, are not stone and rock like you might think. They're actually colonies of animals, living organisms. And so they become the foundation of life. They're like islands of life in the middle of the desert, only the desert is the ocean. And unless there is something to begin the cycle of life where the small creatures can hide and then grow into bigger ones and the bigger ones eat the small ones and then the, the really bigger ones eat the, the big ones and then the huge ones eat the big, really big ones, you know what I mean? There is no life support system. And so coral reefs that are amazingly colorful begin to die. This is what a crown of thorns starfish looks like if they'll put it up on the screen. You can see why it got its name or how it did. All those barbs all over it. Well, this is what a healthy coral reef looks like. And it's just profuse with life. And it's stunningly beautiful. Now you see why I love to dive and do photography under the water. But with the invasion of a crown of thorn starfish, they interrupted the food chain by destroying those reefs that you're looking at. And then the fish and the crabs and the other creatures that depended on healthy reefs would die off and soon the area would be barren. And here's what it looks like when a starfish is grazing across a reef. See that white streak at the middle on the right? 
What happens is the crown of thorn starfish empties the contents of its stomach and the acid kills the reef and it sucks it back up. And that's how it eats. The mouth is underneath. And so everywhere it goes, it leaves a trail of destruction. But here's the problem. Authorities in asking the divers to destroy crown of thorns starfish didn't realize they were contributing to the problem. That's the collateral damage it was being done, unintended consequences. Because a starfish, if you cut its legs off or cut it in two, guess what happens? It grows two starfish now instead of one because it regenerates the part of its body that you cut out away. And so we were contributing. I was a part of it at their advice. And uh, then they realized they were, they were actually causing a greater problem and causing the problem to become more severe. And they traced the problem down to why there was a proliferation of these starfish in the first place to the fact that collectors were collecting the triton shale. The triton uh, seashell is about the only natural predator the crown of thorn starfish has. We call it the trumpet shell. Put that up there if you would, please. And you can see what a, a crown, a, a, a triton star, uh, I'm sorry, triton seashell looks like. There it is. That's the kind that in Polynesian movies they blow. It sounds like a trumpet, hence the name trumpet uh, uh, seashell. I'm not talking about the kind, the conch shell from down in the Caribbean. That's different. But this one, is the one that kept the starfish in check. And by collectors taking them out of the ocean, they were upsetting the delicate balance of nature. That's how finely tuned nature is. And uh, so there were unintended consequences of the decision to allow collectors to collect them and even the decision to try to kill them by cutting them in half. And so they passed or enacted legislation that's pretty much universal across the Pacific waters that you can't take living triton seashells. And that brought the problem back in balance. There are many other examples of unintended consequences. Someone can drive recklessly and lose control of a car. We had that happen here. Uh, the first toward, I guess it was April, we lost a precious member. You guys didn't even know that we had coming here one of the most famous rugby players that's lived in, in, in modern times. He was a member of the church. He and his wife, his wife still is. They're beautiful children. But a 16-year-old kid driving a car at 100 miles an hour lost control of the car. He and two 16-year-old friends in the car, they were running from police, sailed over a medium, landed on top of this man's truck, he was with his family, killed him instantly, and injured his two children. Incredible losses, collateral damage that resulted from someone's recklessness. And so there are examples of this throughout the Bible too. And oh, by the way, I should tell you that collateral damage is the unintentional injury that is inflicted or caused when another action is taken. But you find this throughout the Bible. There are examples of unintended consequences. And these stories help us gain understanding. And we realize something, and that is this. The good decisions we make, I want you to listen, together with the bad decisions we refuse to make, cause us to live much happier lives. And the right decisions cause us and those around us to be blessed and to enjoy the favor of God upon our lives. But... The other flip side of that is the bad decisions we choose to make 
and the right decisions we don't want to make, guess what? They end up costing us. And not only us, they cost people around us. And so they result in collateral damage. The wrong decisions can result in God's favor being removed from your life. Not that God wants to remove it, but you step out from underneath it. You see what I mean? And he can't save you from the consequences of your own decisions if you're not willing to change. Like jumping off one of the skyscrapers downtown and you land on the sidewalk. Well, you're not going to survive that because he won't step in and save you from the results of your own you know, reckless or foolish decisions, whatever they might be. And what happens is we sometimes impose ceilings that prohibit us from enjoying the measure of success that we want to have in our families, in our, our marriages, in our futures, our businesses, by continuing to insist that we're going to go the wrong way. And step out from underneath the covering of God's favor. And when you do that, you know, you can't help but encounter consequences that are painful. And I've said all of that for a reason. Because there's no one in this building that is perfect. And that means there are no perfect marriages because there are no perfect spouses. And on the other hand, there are no perfect parents either. We all make mistakes. And what I want to show you today is there's a way to come back from that. There's a way to recover from that. The wrong decisions are what hurt Naomi and her husband. And let me just expand on the story. Bethlehem was experiencing a famine. I don't even know why it was. The Bible doesn't say. I don't know if there there was an infestation of, of insects, locusts. If there was a drought, it hadn't rained in a long time. I don't know if the enemy had come in and burned their fields. I just don't know. But I do know this. Bethlehem, which means house of bread, ran out of bread. And so Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, decided they were going to move to Moab with their two boys. And so they did. And I get this idea. Anybody know how far Moab was from from Israel, Bethlehem? And you want to raise your hand if you know? Let me know. Not a single hand in the building. I know. I can tell you. Because you get the idea that they got on a United flight down at George Bush and flew all the way to LaGuardia. No, they didn't. They went 18 miles. Meaning you don't have to move out from under God's covering very far to suddenly begin to experience pain. 18 miles away. And here is what is even more important to you and me, and that is to acknowledge and realize all of us encounter famines in the course of our life. All of us do. Even in the house of bread, you're going to have famine. The marriage that was so satisfying, the job, the business that was killing it, you will experience some famines in life. You will experience famines in your marriage, your relationship. You will experience famines in your walk with God. You will experience Famines in your prayer life, your worship life, you're going to experience famines in terms of your finances, your health. You will go through famines in your life. And if you have any teenagers, you're going to have some famines with those too. Amen. And for two reasons. Number one, they'll eat you out of house and home. And number two, they get a certain age, like you've heard me say, I wish they had a pill. You could put them to sleep until they're 23. Because, oh boy, life becomes rough. 
And here's what I've learned about famines. The best thing to do is if you're in a famine is shelter in God. I wish I could hear a better amen. Shelter in God. Not in Moab, in God. Because Moab was an idol-worshiping country that God said, don't have anything to do with them. Don't allow your sons to marry their daughters and so forth. Or you, uh, you uh, take their daughters for your sons. Don't do that because they're idol worshipers. They came and opposed Israel when they were leaving Egypt to go to Canaan land. They, Balak, one of their kings, hired Balaam, a false prophet, to come and to curse them. And he tried three times and couldn't. And then he gave the king a strategy how he could seduce Israel into intermarrying with their women. And it almost was Israel's undoing. And God said, do not intermarry those people. Do not allow them in. They can't even, if they come to Israel, they cannot enter the congregation of the righteous. They, I, I will not allow it. And he, he said, don't, don't do this because they had abominable worship practices. I mean, terrible. I I won't even describe them here this morning. And here is what you should realize is that you're going to have some struggles in life and some famines are going to come. Anybody ever go through a famine? Let me see your hand. I'm, I'm not talking about a real famine because most of us in this room, you can tell by looking in the mirror, we hadn't been through any of those lately. Okay. Amen. But I'm talking about a famine in a relationship. Come on. Anybody ever have a famine in your marriage? Jerry and I have been through some. I can tell you. Amen. Pastor Gutierrez, Pastor Danny's mom and dad, those sweet, they're some of the sweetest people in the world. 50 years of marriage, you can bet they've been through a few. How many of you have ever been through an economic famine? A famine in your health? Come on, help me out. Am I in the right house? Praise God. Of course we have. But you see, some people choose to quit. I was one time preaching. I'm thinking it was the Philippines. I've been in so many countries that I've forgotten exactly where it was. But I believe it was the Philippines. And the missionaries pointed to a certain banana tree. And they said, you see that banana tree when there's a typhoon about to come through? You know what it does? When the barometer begins to drop and a slight wind begins to blow, it does this. It lays over on the ground. Doesn't even wait for the storm to get there. It just, it knows the storm is coming. So doesn't wait till it gets in the storm. It just beginning to sound like anybody, you know, amen. First little wind barometer drop. Looks like it's going to get a little bit rough. And here's the kicker. You got to go out after the typhoon and prop them all up and stand them up again. You don't have anybody in your life like that, do you? Some of you think that's my job. Uh Uh-oh, got a little quiet in some parts of the congregation. I'm going through a storm. I'm gonna lay here, pastor. You come pick me up. I'll try. But you know what what it's like when, when you have a bunch of banana trees, man. Laying on the ground. I mean, a bunch of people that have gone through a storm. There's only one of me and a bunch of them. And only so many pastors. Well, this is what Moab represented and what Naomi and Elimelech saw in Moab, a place to lay on the ground. 
to get away from a storm. And I want to tell you the best place to shelter in a storm is in the presence of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I wish I could hear somebody in the house say, that's right. Amen. Well, while they were there, Elimelech died. And the two boys married Moabite women anyway. And then they died. And now, guess what happens? Naomi's decisions are costing her. Let me point out a construct real fast. Freedom is a fundamental right of all human beings. You were made in God's image and in God's likeness. So you were created to be free. John 8, 36, whom the son sets free is free indeed. And one of the benefits of that freedom is the right to make your own decisions. That's right. Now we don't allow small children always or as they even get older, if it's major things, until we're sure they can make intelligent decisions. But that's because freedom comes with a responsibility. You were born to be free, but freedom comes with responsibility. You don't get to live irresponsibly, drive 100 miles an hour just because you feel like it. You don't get to do that because you may end up hurting someone else as the result of your actions, even though they were unintended. And you see, so when you drive recklessly or you act irresponsibly, there are consequences connected to those decisions. And the key to making, I wish everybody would listen, to making intelligent and wise decisions is to realize that you will have to deal with those consequences when they arise. And if you make good decisions, you get to enjoy the consequences. But if you make bad ones, guess what? Ouch. Hurts. And then again, ouch. And enough ouches. And you might stop making the wrong decisions. Or maybe you won't. Maybe you're one of those that thinks the world's supposed to give you a pass. And you're supposed to get by doing whatever you want to do. And making all the decisions you want to make that are completely against what intelligence would tell you ought to be done in that circumstance. And you leave behind all these strewn broken people in your life and say, I'm not responsible. That's wrong. It's wrong. But at the same time, and this is what's important in today's message. Making the right choices in life can be incredibly beneficial. Oh man, you make the right choice in life, that can open heaven over your life. Now, like I said, even making the right choice, you might go through a few famines. Jerry and I've done that, but I made the right choice. And so this afternoon, I get to have shrimp etouffee. Seriously. Not making that up. Amen. No, you can't come home with me. Amen. Making the right choices can release incredible blessings in your life that bring you favor that will not only last your lifetime, it will last beyond your lifetime. And so this is why we have come up during the decades with a commonly known Law that is simply entitled the law of unintended consequences. Unintended consequences can be good or bad.
But after enough bad unintended consequences, you start seeing like, hey, there's a, there's a picture here. There's a pattern emerging. Here's something I absolutely love about God. And this is the essence of my message. God wants to help you overcome the painful effects of the poor choices you have made because you're human like me. God wants to help you overcome this, those. And he will usually do that in one of two ways. One is to put an absolute halt and stop negative consequences and outcomes dead in their tracks. You see, you don't realize that God can do that. God can. God can simply say, that's it. That's what the psalmist and others said. You put a boundary for the sea. Job said that, I think, too. And said, this far and no more. Amen. And God can say that to your consequences. You've been wreaking havoc. I realize somebody messed up. But since they messed up and have been experiencing pain, they've come to me and said, God, help me. I want to overcome this. And I'm stepping in now and saying, no more. And you find that in the book of Joel, chapter number two. In verse 25, God will not only stop the consequences, he will reverse the cycle and give you back what you lost. You say, are you sure? I will restore to you. I need somebody to put their hand on their chest and say to me, I was only a few of you. I need somebody to say, restore to me. The years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm. You see, God can put a stop to it, but he can also reverse the cycle and cause what what you lost to come back home. Now, you may never get that marriage back that you were in, but he can give you a happy marriage. And, you know, I'm not sure you want her to come home now anyway. Just saying. Amen. Or him. The second thing God will do is give you the grace to go through it if he doesn't stop it. God will make you go through it with a smile on your face. And you will be feeling blessed in the middle of it all. And somebody will ask you how you're doing. And you'll say, man, I'm great. I'm super fantastic. I'm blessed coming in. And I'm blessed going out. And somebody else will say, huh? How's that possible with everything you're going through? Amen. You see, Naomi came over the hill outside Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. And people stopped and shielded their eyes and looked up the road and said, wait a minute, is, is that, it, it look, is, is that Naomi? And when she got closer, they greeted her. But she said, don't even call me Naomi because that means pleasant. Call me Mara because that means bitter and the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And here's what happens if you make the wrong decisions too long. You think God's against you. I'm preaching a lot better right now and some of you are responding. And you begin to feel like God's mad at you. He's not. You just stepped out from underneath his covering. He's still there, still got the covering, still wants to protect you, still wants to turn it around. All you got to do is run back underneath it again. Amen. But she stayed out there for so many years that it cost her so much that she got mad at God. I want you to look how she stopped at how she stopped the attack against her family and reversed it. She went from feeling cursed to being blessed beyond measure. 
She brought a halt to the collateral damage caused by the unwise decisions she and her husband had made those many years before. Now watch this, because she's got a daughter-in-law. She had two of them. One of them went back to her people. The other said, your people will become my people and your God will be my God. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Hallelujah. Praise God for it. Still wasn't supposed to be in the house of God for generations to come. But this blows my mind because she took that daughter-in-law, Ruth, back to Bethlehem. And I, I want you to see what happened. They come back broken. They're basically penniless. Out there, Ruth is out there gleaning, picking up little kernels of grain from the ground that have been dropped by the harvesters. And before it's all over with and it doesn't take long, it's only a matter of days. And she marries the owner of the field. And so they go from being paupers to landowners. And it wasn't just any landowner. It was one of the biggest in the whole area. That's what my God can do for you. God can lift you out of your circumstance and completely turn it around. Hallelujah. My God. Woo. Somebody ought to give God some praise in this house. And you know what happened? Ruth and Boaz, which is the man's name, they married and they had a baby. And they gave that baby to be raised by Naomi. And that baby became like Naomi's kid now. And suddenly she who had lost everything has a little boy running around the house going goo goo. Hey, hey, hey. Amen. And my, my, my grandson Andrew came up here with his, his newest daughter just a, a few minutes ago as they were gathering to pray. Little Autumn is only a few months old and she just looks at me and smiles and, and my little heart goes. You know what I'm talking about. And Naomi's happy again. And she's blessed again. Talk about amazing. This is the God I serve. God even reversed the curse about Moab women marrying Jewish men in this, congreg- in this circumstance and not being allowed to enter the congregation of the people of God because not only did that, that boy born end up becoming the ancestor of King David. I mean, think about it. David was born. That boy became the father of King David. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And 28 generations later, that boy was the great, 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 whatever, 27 times over grandfather to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that wild or is that wild? 28 times over, sorry. Here's the point. She totally reversed that curse. I mean, reversed it. She stopped collateral damage and released generational blessings at 28 generations later. We're not only still flowing, they were getting stronger. Oh my God. Somebody in this building that has made some mistakes. I'm talking to you right now. You don't need to stay in Moab. You don't need to continue to live in that circumstance. God will turn this around for you. So you've made mistakes. I I got it. And and you feel bad. And I I got it. In some cases, we really ought to feel bad. But how do you reverse it? Let's look at Naomi's example. First thing she did, she left Moab. 
That's a word for somebody in this house. Leave Moab. I'm going to say it again. Leave Moab. Leave out from under whatever has brought you to be no longer covered by the grace and mercy of God. Leave Moab. Leave Moab. Stop doing what you're doing that is causing the disfavor of God to be experienced upon your family. Leave Moab. And so she honored God's word and she left Moab. In other words, she made a decision to elevate the word of God in her life and live by the principles of the word of God. I didn't for years and look what it cost me. I'm out here and man, I've been through some rough places. I'm gonna make a decision to go back and I'm gonna live with God as my highest and most most devoted attention of my life, object of my life. I'm getting a little stumbled over that. Just forgive me. (laughs) Amen. But I'm going to go home and I'm going to devote my, my life and my heart to God. And, and I'm going to live for God and I'm going to honor his word. And then the second thing she did is she realized the things I went over here because I thought things were really bad, but you know what? They weren't as bad over here as I thought they were. Boy, it's amazing when you've been through some stuff. It makes you realize the stuff you thought was really bad before. You thought he was bad till you got him. The next one. You thought he was no good. So you let him go and then you ended up with the next one. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Give me the first one back. No, he's done moved on, found somebody else now. I'm just being real with you, living where you're at right now. Amen. Talking to you about life as it really is, walking down there like Ezekiel sat with them, where they sat and walked among them. And that's what I'm doing right now in this message. I want you to realize these are very real, applicable principles that we can put to work in our own lives. She thought it was really bad. How do I know she realized that it wasn't as bad as she once had thought it was? Because when she came back, this is what she said. They said, Naomi, which means pleasant. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mera, which means bitter. Because I went out full and I came back empty. I thought I was empty when I left. But it turned out I was full when I left. That is something you need to remember in life. Number three, realize it's not over until God says it's over. Not over till God says it's over. It isn't. Amen. Not over at all till God says it's over. And she might have thought things were over, but when she got back into Bethlehem to live no longer affected by the curse that was over the nation of Moab, and she is getting back now under the covering of God's protection. Do you know what the consequences of that was? It turns out that God hadn't cursed her at all. She had just left the blessing of God. And you can, this, oh, I feel it in my heart. Some of us have walked away from the blessings of God. And God is simply saying, do you want them? 
If you want my blessing on your life, all you got to do is pick up where you left off and do the right thing from this time forward. I got it. You're broken. You're mis- you, you've made mistakes. I get that because I made you from the dust of the ground. I know that you're imperfect, but I can fix it for you. And then I'm going to add this one on my own. Number four, have a God encounter. If you want to turn things around, have a God encounter. Let me back up, put it in reverse, and say that one more time. I don't know many things that having an encounter with God can't fix. I'm done. I want our musicians to come back. The truth of the matter is, there's not a pastor out there that isn't glad to see Summer come to an end and kids get back in school. You know why? Because in the summertime, we travel a lot, right? I got it. Good. I hope you had a great summer. I'm not knocking it, okay? You post it all. I don't see it on social media, but you're out there posting photos of you at national monuments and all kind of stuff and at the beach and everywhere else. And pastors are glad when everybody comes back and begins to re-engage in spiritual matters again. Because here's what I've learned in traveling all these years is that when you go overseas in the poor countries, they don't have the same degree of luxury that we have here and they don't have the same economic opportunities. So they're just as consistent in the middle of the summer as they are during the winter and the fall is in the spring. And what I'm trying to say is simply this, man, there's not a pastor I know of because I talk to them that is not glad Standing on their hands glad. Yay, kids are back in school. Crowd's going to come back. Hallelujah. And I'm so glad to see you here. Really glad that you're back. Amen. But here's what I'm trying to get across. Let's re-engage now. You know what I mean? It's time to go vertical again and seek the face of God. It's time to have an encounter with God. It's time... Once more to renew our commitment to him. We're going to have a worship event very, very soon. Can't wait. And then number five, and I'm done. Stand with me across the building. Get in the flow of what God is doing now. Get in the flow of what God is doing right now. Amen. You see, so many times we get all fired up because we have our own agenda. And God says, I want you to bless my agenda so I can bless yours. But if you're asking me to bless yours and forget about mine, probably won't work out real well. Get in the flow of what I'm doing because that's where my favor is at. That's where my blessing is at. Amen. And do you know why Bethlehem was so important? It was because that was the plot of property that had been given as the tribal inheritance when their ancestors had moved their generations before after they'd come out of Egypt and out of the desert. That was God's assignment. Your blessing is going to be here. And by here, I don't necessarily mean a geographic place for you. You understand what I'm trying to say? Your assignment, let me make it plain, is going to be at a certain place spiritually called here. Not down here, but right here. You get the point? 
Your assignment, this is your heritage. It's what God has for you. God wants a relationship with you. God wants to be connected to you. God wants you to enjoy his favor, his grace. Now every head is bowed and every eye is closed as the prayer counselors are making their way forward. Could I see the hands of those who are in this building who will lift their hands and say, pray for me, pastor. I need God in my life. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. Keep raising them, raising them. Hands going up all over the building. Yes, 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 yes. With your heads bowed, Father. I pray for every person that raised their hands just a moment ago and those at home that might also be here today who need God. I'm asking you to come into our hearts and into our lives and be our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer. Sit on the throne of our hearts. Today, help us to make a commitment to live by the principles of your word, to honor you, to serve you. God, we're asking you to save us from the consequences of those terrible decisions some of us have made, all of us have made, and put us on the right track from causing collateral damage to to come to a halt and put us on the, the right road to instead experiencing generational blessings. We ask it for your glory. And I want to say thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Let's welcome those that just prayed that prayer. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Turn your attention to the screen real quick. And you will see either a QR code or a number up there where you can... Send that kind of message, uh, either prayer, salvation, baptism, a simple one-word message. You can text it to that number, or you can go to the QR code, and we'll pray with you about your needs and so forth. And this is what I want to say if you just prayed that prayer. Make a decision to get baptized. Number two, be filled with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And number three, become a student and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't just go to church on Sunday. Get in the Word of God. Amen. We'd love to have you be a part here. Join a Bible-believing church. We send, in fact, um, I'll say this before I mention the text. We're about to be able to get back to the point where we can begin to meet with our first-time attendees. I'm really looking forward to that. After two and a half years of this COVID mess, I can't wait. Amen. But one of the ways to become a disciple is get in the Word of God and and. Something that we do to help you is I write a devotional. And if you will simply text to that number, the word join, or go to that QR code, they will send it to you free of charge. You have to do that. We can't sign you up. And now every head bowed one more time, please. I've been preaching today with a heavy burden all day since early this morning. In fact, I couldn't hardly sleep last night. Kept waking up during the night. Woke up all during the hours of the night. You know why? Because I was so burdened for people that are dealing with unintended consequences. Collateral damage. I know God can reverse that for you. 
While every head is bowed, who needs that to happen? Who needs collateral damage reversed? Raise your hands. Come on, be honest. Who needs it? You need some collateral damage reversed. Poor decisions you've made financially, family, relationally, health. You see, I believe God's a healer too. I believe he can reverse decisions that we've made that were poor for our health. If we will just, again, the thing is come back to to Bethlehem and leave Moab. Stop living by the principles that we shouldn't have been living by to begin with and start living by those we should. I want to ask those who raise their hands to come first and then I'm going to ask the rest of those of us who will join, would you come and I want to close the service here at the altar. We've taken a few minutes longer in this service than we normally do and that is simply because we had a big assignment to pray for a lot of kids and young people. They'll watch your kids. Don't worry. They'll they'll keep them for just a few minutes longer and we can pray. Some of you are going to be able to put some stuff behind you today. Some of you will be able to overcome some stuff. Come on close. Amen. And don't 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 be afraid of breaking the image of being Mr. Perfect, okay? Or Miss Perfection. If I go down there, somebody's going to know that I, I've had a few issues. It, just come on down as part of the church family then. Amen. Because miracles can happen in this place today. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask you right now to touch every person. And Lord, I pray today because that word resonated so much in my spirit. First of all, you can reverse the damage. You can not only stop it, you can reverse it. And you can even give us the grace to go through it if that is the better option at this time. And so I pray for the reverse of curses that we have brought upon ourselves, attacks that we have brought upon ourselves, consequences that we brought upon ourselves. I pray you'll reverse it. And if some of those are not at a point where they can be reversed at this stage, I ask you to give us the grace to walk through it with such victory that we don't even realize hardly the pain that we were once experiencing every day. We don't even know it's there anymore because you can take all of that away. And I'm talking to a husband or praying on behalf of a husband. I've been talking to one. I'm praying on behalf of a wife that I've been talking to, a parent, and that really like some do-overs, Lord. And really like a chance to be able to have a second opportunity. And I'm asking you to heal that and reverse that problem. And I'm asking you to bring deliverance. And the second thing that I feel so strongly pressed upon my spirit today is this. Help somebody leave Moab. Help somebody leave Moab. Naomi and Elimelech were children of God, but they were in Moab. Help somebody leave Moab. Help a child of God be free of Moab. Help a child of God be delivered from Moab. Oh God, 
set somebody free from Moab today. Whatever that might be. Whether it's an addiction, something on a computer at home that nobody knows about. Set somebody free from Moab. And don't let your people live under condemnation and guilt anymore. I want you to lift them up and cause what has been unintended consequences to become unexpected generational blessings. Blessings that are going to resonate down through generations. Their children be blessed. Their grandchildren be blessed. Their great-grandchildren be blessed. If you need somebody to pray with you, we have prayer counselors here. Just press your way in. And I know that it's taken us longer, as I've already said, because we've had a lot to do in this service. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm not even going to close the service. I'm going to just stop right now. And I'm going to say, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord lift up the light of his his countenance upon you. Be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen. May God smile upon you. And may you walk out of here today different than you came in this morning.